Just a warning that this episode contains some graphic details and our guest talks about his involvement in a serious road accident. Hi, I'm Michael. I've been a Brit Australian for 15 years. I fell off my motorbike in the outback and I'm a very lucky boy to be alive. The Pilbara is a large region of North Western Australia. It's home to a city called Caratha and a few other isolated towns. The region is twice the size of the UK, but the population is tiny in comparison, so there's lots of empty space. You can travel for hours without seeing another person. And that is why Michael believes he's lucky to be alive. He was fighting for his life at the side of a road around 100 miles from the nearest city, in a place where temperatures can reach close to 50 degrees and it rarely gets below 30 during the day. But fortunately for him, there was an iron ore mine site close to the scene where he came off his motorbike. You imagine driving your car at 105 miles an hour, take your seatbelt off, open the door and jump out. That's what I did. Except I wasn't sitting in a car. Okay, full name is Michael Pitt. I live in Mandra in Western Australia and I've been in Australia since January 06, I believe. 15 years, yeah. Where are you from originally? I was born in Romsey in Hampshire. I spent 23 years in in Devon and then uh, I couldn't wait to leave. I came to Sydney for a wedding. I came back not quite a year later and I've been here ever since. What visa did you come on to come back? I had a resident visa. I came in through my trade. Okay. And what's your trade? A mechanic. So, Michael, we've got you in here today to talk about your motorbike accident. How long ago was that? 26th of September 2018. At the time, I was living and working in Karatha, up way up north, and I relocated back to Perth. I was intending to ride my bike from Karatha to Mandra on my own. Okay, so just for people who are listening back home, what kind of That's distance about is about 1,685 k's. So just over 1,000 miles? Just over 1,000 miles, yeah. And you don't leave the state. Give you some idea of how big and how vast the north is. It's not like a road that you'd get back in England, is it? No. You can travel for quite some distance without seeing anyone. You are probably as barren as you want to, as it gets, really. It's... um as a track going straight for the middle of the desert. If you ever watch a movie where they've got like a big long road going right for the middle of, you know, say the Grand Canyon or something like that, it's a bit like that without the hills and red dirt. It's just, that's it. That's a good way to describe it. That is it. So why did you decide to do this on a motorbike? I was living in the north. I lived in Headland and Caratha for three and a half years and I'd moved all my stuff down on my week off because I couldn't fit my bike in. I thought, ah, Road trip. That'll be a good idea. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) I had a rucksack on with just the remnants of what I had left and a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, and away I went. Gosh, because in Australia, when you do big long journeys, big road trips, people say to carry five litres of water per person per day, Mm. enough dried food with you to Mm. last. I think it's like three days or something. Yeah, yeah, survival things. Yeah. Because you can die out there pretty quickly. 
I wasn't carrying a drop of water. I wasn't carrying any food. I wasn't carrying extra fuel. I planned the whole trip. I knew exactly the distances between the road houses. I knew what my bike would do. My, my bike, at a push, would do 300 k's to a tank. And there was one stint, Billabong, Billabong Roadhouse, which is way down south. That was the only leg that I was going to have to ride fairly steady on. The rest of it was just quick squirts between roadhouses, and roadhouses are just sort of these little servo shop buildings in the middle of... It's the only thing you come to. There's nothing else there. It's basically just to fill up with fuel and go again. So you were relying on being able to stop in these places to get yourself a drink of water. And, and some fuel more, yeah. more than anything, yeah. I left Karatha. This is all... I don't remember any of this. I've got no memory of... I have nothing other than a small screenshot of finishing work on the Tuesday morning after I finished my last night shifts. And Trish, a lady that was in the office, was in tears, I think, that I was leaving. I've since seen her and spoken to her. And she said, do you remember the last thing I said to you? And I goes, no, I've got nothing, nothing at all. She said, watch out for kangaroos, watch out for cattle and go steady. I left at 4 a.m., which was probably my first mistake, I'd say, because if you ever go to the Pilbara, the red dirt sort of country, if it's dawn, dusk or dark, you do not speed because it's just one massive cattle station, basically. There are cattle just roaming around in herds all over the place and they'll just wander out into the road. And if you go further north, there'll be camels as well. You make sure you're on high beam and you do not blink because they will just... Come out of nowhere, yeah, don't they? yeah. That's another thing I was going to say is that um, in Australia, it's kind of advisable that if you're planning on doing a road trip out of the city, that you avoid driving when it's dark or at dusk. Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. I really don't. To leave at 4am would have been pitch black. I had an idea I was trying to make Perth in 12 hours, thousand miles in 12 hours. I didn't think that was not doable. Uh, you'd have to be averaging about 80, 85. Miles an hour. Yeah. Which, when you're on a road that's dead straight for like 10 or 12 kilometres, in a, it's like an arrow. So what happened? Okay, so it was dark. So I made it to Fortescue and I gunned in there at about 5am and then I can remember paying for fuel and I can remember the exact amount. It was $10.01, 6.84 litres. I remember that is just etched into my brain. And I paid for fuel at 5.12 in the morning. And then I'd left Fortescue sometime between 5.20 and 5.25am, which was still dark. It would have been dark for another sort of 20 minutes, half an hour. And then at 5.44, that's when the triple zero call went in to wow. emergency services and I was about 55 k's down the road so I've done 55 k's in 20 minutes so I'm doing about 160 170 k's an hour the sun would have been coming up and because there's no there's no barrier to light it does brighten up very very quickly and you can see an awful lot of distance so unless you've got something bang at the side of the road I'm not going to slow down so I just I crashed about two kilometres north of the Panawanaka turnoff, and Panawanaka is um, is a mine. I'd left Fortescue Roadhouse between five twenty and five twenty-five in the morning, 
I was headed then for Nanutara Roadhouse, which is the next one on, which is between 160, 170 Ks, and I'm in a hurry. So I've been back to the scene, and I can understand why I was riding so fast because of, like, the vegetation's low, there's no tree line, there's nothing for anything to hide behind. If you're going to see it, you're going to see it because it's dead. It's just parallel either side of the road. You can see for miles on a on a clear day. You can see for miles. In your mind, whilst you're riding, you're probably thinking there's not much no, risk of a kangaroo no, hopping out in front of you. Not a thing. Not a thing. Considering I'd lived in a Pilbara for over three years, you know that you do not ride or in drive. The, in the desert. In the desert at speed when it's dark because you you just don't stand a chance. I've been back to the scene. I went back to the scene almost two years to the day, so I went at the end of last year. There is one, one blind spot in the whole of the horizon, and that's a ridge of rock, right? So it's the only blind spot, and you come out of a place called Blackheart Creek. And as I've come up over the top of the crest, and there's been a roost standing right in the middle of the road, and I've hit him full noise on the left side. The paramedic was the first guy I spoke to, and that took about six months for me to pluck up the courage to call him. I often had his number in my phone. I just had to hit the green. I don't really know what I was going to get told because I knew nothing. He said, at first sight, I thought it was already a fatality because you were Mm. blue and you weren't breathing. There was no signs of any kind of life in you whatsoever. So it's a group of miracles, I think, that considering where you are, if you can imagine being in one of the loneliest places on earth, miles from anywhere, and somebody's with you within seconds, and you can cover 200 k's and not see another living soul, so you could say that guy saved my life. Really. Yeah, I would have. I would have been dead. Oh. I would have basically. As it was put to me, as you would have just drowned on your own blood. Oh. So my my crash helmet was still on. They reckon the whole the whole movie of everything is there but it just it just says no you don't need to see that crazy so then what was the next thing that happened they asked for the royal flying doctors to land an aircraft in the road to take me straight to perth so i could be airlifted straight to perth um but there was no aircraft available so they rushed me by road back to karatha back to where you started off your yeah. journey yeah pretty much and i ended up back in karatha until about seven that night when I was eventually flown down to Royal Perth Trauma Ward that night. I arrived about 10.30, I believe. I presume they didn't have the sort of level of care that I needed. So what's the next thing you remember? Waking up in the trauma ward in Royal Perth on Sunday night. In the hospital? Yeah. So I crashed it just before quarter to six on the Wednesday morning. And then I don't remember anything until the Sunday night in Royal Perth. Goodness me. Yeah, I don't have anything at all, nothing at all. It's a few days there. Mm, big hole. What were your injuries? You woke up and what, what state <laughs> were you in? That's the first thing I remember. I remember I was, I was laying flat. I had no pillows or anything like that and I was laying flat and it was very bright and a lady or a young girl or something, she came right above me she was right over my face and I remember her saying are you with us sweetheart both my arms are in plaster and I sort of gestured to her with my my hands what have I what have I done what have I done 
And the first thing she said to me was, you've broken your neck. And, and I, I didn't hear another word she said because I was just thinking, oh, my God, now what? You've broken your neck. You know, You're paralysed. Yeah, I could be in trouble here. And then she said, you broke your spine. She said, you've got six fractured ribs in multiple places and a punctured left lung. I'd clean broken my right arm, broken both my wrists, and my handlebars had punched number four and number five metacarpal of my left hand out through the back of my skin. They were just smashed to pieces. I had um, racing gloves on with a the, like a plastic knuckle guard. That ended up in my hand. Wow. Just for people listening, because obviously they can't see you, you are all in one piece. You walked in here today with no aids. I did, yeah. You wouldn't know looking at you which yes. is quite amazing. Yeah. Yes. I have a photograph of me of the night I was brought into Royal Perth where I was um, conscious. I have no memory of it. Um, What's it like seeing that? You know it's you. You know it's you're looking at a picture of you. It's on your phone. It's definitely you. But, you you know, you don't sort of... When you've got other holiday snaps and you know, happy pictures and things like that. You can remember, you remember where you were. You remember how warm it was. You remember which way the wind was blowing. You can remember who you were with. You remember other people. But when I look at those, it's very hard to put it into words. You know, it's you. Some of it looks like me. All bashed around and busted, but it is me. It's definitely me. Did you end up having psychiatric help? Did you no. speak to anybody? Do you no. think you ever will? I wish I had. To someone like me who has a very graphic memory in a very graphic way that I can visualise things in my head, but I've got six, seven days where I have absolutely nothing. And that has been very hard for me personally to deal with. Did anyone try to warn you from doing the trip? Yeah. Lots of people. Mm. Mm. I'd done the trip before. On your motorbike? Yep. So this wasn't new to you then, doing no. something like this? No, I'd ridden, I'd had my bike up there for three years or more. And have you seen many kangaroos hop out in front of you whilst you've been Heaps. driving? And cattle. Lots of times. Lots of times. So it's kind of like, what were you thinking? I knew the risk. And when I speak to people, it's like I was doing like between 160, 170 miles um, k's an hour, which is about it's about 105 miles an hour. I never stood a chance. I don't think. I don't think I was. And are you back on motorbikes now? Have you been? I ride the same motorcycle. You don't. I do. Eighteen months to the day, I think, was my first ride. Wow. How did that feel? Uh, like I'd never been away. Um. Whether it's because I have no memory of this um, of this crash, I don't know. The bike rides exactly as I remember it. It handles exactly the same as I remember it. It sounds and behaves exactly as I remember it. I've been riding motorcycles for 30-plus years. I've had a lot of close calls and near misses, but I've never had anything like this. And physically, yeah. It hurts. It does hurt an incredible amount. But the mental side of it, I didn't see that coming at all. The whole, you know, you, you, didn't, you don't remember anything for six or seven days. Why is that a problem? 
but it is a problem. The doctors reckon that everything that happened is there. The whole accident is there. It's all there, but your subconscious goes, you don't really need to see that. You imagine driving your car at 105 miles an hour, take your seatbelt off, open the door and jump out. That's what I did. Except I wasn't sitting in a car. Add to that, I guess, the risk that there's probably nobody, no other human being, potentially, for, for yeah, hundreds of hundreds miles. Hundreds of cars, yeah. It's a yeah. bit, and for that sort of that chain event of miracles to happen is the only reason I'm sitting here. I know I get to Perth in under 12. I didn't <laughs> think I'd do it in an aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> Has it put you off Australia? Like, do no, you... I would go back to the Pilbara tomorrow. The best way I can describe it is you'll find places in the Pilbara where it feels like you're walking into the centre spread of a National Geographic magazine. That's the best way I can describe it. Some of those places are just, they've been that way for millions and millions of years and they're still there. Mother Nature's just showing off. It's a beautiful, rugged, raw part of the world, and I love it. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next episode of Britstralian. We asked our Britstralian Facebook community group where in Australia they live or where they're heading to when they make the big move. 27% said WA. Another 27% said Victoria, 22% said Queensland, 19% said New South Wales. Only two members voted South Australia, one said the Australian Capital Territory, and one voted Tasmania. And we didn't have any Britstralian votes for the Northern Territory. We'd love you to take part in the next Britstralian poll. Just join us on Facebook. Search for Britstralian, all one word, and we'll see you in there.